This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by DuPont. Together, we can feed the world. DuPont commits 60% of its R&D dollars toward this goal. From working with farmers and growers around the world to increase crop yields, to developing a wide range of packaging materials that enable food to be transported without spoilage, we're working every day to get more good food to more people. Providing for the needs of a growing population will help developing countries prosper and foster economic growth around the world. Welcome to the Global Collaboratory. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Hello, I'm Ken Root. This week's guest is U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. Secretary Vilsack is a past Democrat governor of Iowa and on the date of the taping was meeting President Obama at a wind energy equipment manufacturing plant in Newton, Iowa, before a campaign rally in Des Moines. Vilsack formerly was a lawyer in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, drawn to the home of his wife, Christy. She is now running for Congress on the Democratic ticket against incumbent Republican Steve King in a newly drawn district of northwest Iowa. Mr. Secretary, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Could I ask you first about the Obama outreach to rural America this year? This is a campaign year, uh, and in 2008 it was a pretty strong one. What will it be this time? Well, I think the president's got a very strong message uh, to rural America. Uh, we are revitalizing this rural economy, uh, focused obviously on production agriculture and expanding exports. Uh, we've had a strategic framework put in place uh, for exports, which has resulted in a fairly significant increase in exports. Over the last couple of years, we're focusing on, on 20 countries that can really make a difference. Free trade agreements have been approved, and now we're looking at the Trans-Pacific Partnership as another opportunity for multilateral expansion. You combine that with a commitment to, to conservation that's historic. We have a record number of acres enrolled in conservation programs today, and we're tying that into outdoor recreational opportunities with the local and regional food systems that uh, we are uh, investing in and creating this bio-based economy, starting with biofuels but extending it to renewable energy and bio-based uh, chemicals, fabrics, fibers, and polymers. Uh, it's an exciting new future. So the president obviously has a strong message. He, he talks about the economy, Ken, that's built to last, and that's precisely what we have begun in rural America. You are the secretary at the time that the uh, USDA is 150 years old, and I'm sure it makes you smile that the department is still carrying on. Do you think it's carrying on the role that Abraham Lincoln designated back in 1862? Well, it started uh, 150 years ago uh, with two principal responsibilities. One was to make sure that we were continuing to focus on new advances in seed technology uh, so that America could be a robust agricultural economy, have a robust agricultural economy. And two, that the USDA would basically accumulate information and statistics that would create a nice platform, a baseline, if you will, to make sure that we were progressing in the right direction. I'm fairly confident that if President Lincoln were alive today and could see what he and the 1862 Congress began, he would be quite pleased with what USDA is engaged in. Uh, he would be pleased with our rural development commitments, historic investments in the infrastructure and uh, broadband expansion. I think he would like the idea that we have a very strong research component, uh, that we are continuing to keep statistics and information, uh, that we are invested in research and, and the ag productivity that we've seen from that research is nothing short of phenomenal. I think he would be extraordinarily impressed with a country that is now food secure, 
We can, as you know, produce just about everything we need. We don't necessarily have to import food. You know, if you think back to 150 years ago, 1862, in the middle of the Civil War, uh, the Congress of the United States had the capacity and the ability and the forward thinking, uh, together with President Lincoln, to establish the USDA, to establish the land-grant university system, to do the Homestead Act and ask for, to allow Western expansion and to basically fund the intercontinental railroad system that connected coast to coast. You know, that's a good example. Uh, in the midst of a civil war, we could get all that done. I sincerely hope that we can get a food, farm, and jobs bill through the process, that we can renew the production tax credits to our wind energy in industry that's so vital uh, to the Midwest and as part of this new economy that we want to build is allowed to continue. Um, so hopefully Congress can get uh, some inspiration from that Congress in 1862. It's a robust agriculture. There's no question about that. But people in business and farming are concerned about overly restrictive government uh, regulations. In fact, uh, the EPA and the administration have been backed off a couple of times by public pressure. What do you think that says to the Obama administration to regulate uh, agriculture and business more heavily? Well, Ken, I, I think that's an interesting question, and, and, and I might take a, a slightly different tact uh, towards it. Uh, I think that this administration and the EPA and the USDA have forged a very close relationship, and so as things are being proposed, uh, the EPA reaches out to USDA and asks for our advice and our counsel. And as a result of that advice and counsel, they see the wisdom of making adjustments or changing uh, attitudes. We've also did the same thing with the Department of Labor on the child labor law. Uh, so I think people should be uh, confident in the fact that USDA is engaging in these conversations. Uh, we have an opportunity with Lisa Jackson, the administrator of EPA, to sit down with commodity groups on a regular basis. We started that, uh, so there's a better line of communication. Uh, we've encouraged the administrator to go out into the field and actually visit farms, which she has done and will continue to do. Uh, so I, to me, I, I think people should take heart that, that somebody is making sure that rural America is represented somebody is making sure that the value system in rural America is protected and that there is an understanding of the implications, the real-life implications of, of rules and regulations. And we're going to continue to work with EPA and the Department of Labor and every other sister agency to make sure that rural America's voice is heard. Is there a possibility of establishing a regulatory certainty between people who enter into agreements with the government and the government that over a period of time they will not be penalized if they're doing the job the way they were told to do it in the first place? Well, I'm really proud of the fact that we've begun that. Uh, we started with the Department of Interior uh, and the endangered species uh, list uh, out in the western part of the United States. Uh, we recently entered into an arrangement with the state of Minnesota on water quality uh, and their water quality certification program. And I think we are working with the EPA in the Chesapeake Bay area to create a sense of certainty. We've also had discussions with Secretary Northey here in Iowa about the possibility of establishing opportunities in several watersheds where we could provide that assurance. I think that is very important. Uh, I don't think, I have no question that uh, Iowa farmers, American farmers and ranchers are very interested in environmental stewardship. What they want and what they need is to make sure that when they make an investment of their hard-earned dollars, and that's combined with cost share from, uh, from USDA, that they aren't going to be told after they've made these investments, thanks very much, but it's not enough. They need that degree of certainty, and we're going to continue to work on this concept and expand on it because I think that's the way in which you can encourage more conservation practices uh, around the country. Last week when you made that announcement uh, on water quality and the 11,400 11, acres that would be turned into wetlands, and you would incentivize farmers, landowners to do that, do you feel like in this upper Midwest area and along the Mississippi River, that is the best pathway to take? Uh, I do. And, and the reason I do is because not only are we providing incentives, but we're also assessing 
the impact of these programs. Uh, the first assessment project was in the upper Mississippi River Basin, and what we found from that assessment is that voluntary conservation is working, that nearly 90% of landowners in the, in the state of Iowa and the upper Mississippi River Basin are participating in some form of conservation. We learned that one individual conservation uh, effort is fine, but if you combine uh, certain conservation practices together, they have an even more profound impact, so we're going to encourage more of that type of activity. Uh, and we've actually been able to characterize and establish a baseline reduction in nitrogen and phosphorus uh, that is improving water quality, and we're also able to quantify the amount of soil erosion uh, that is uh, uh, that's not taking place. So we are assessing. That assessment and that measurement is going to give us the opportunity to do something beyond regulatory certainty, and that's to establish what I like to refer to as ecosystem markets, the ability of a private sector company that needs to respond to some regulatory responsibility essentially purchasing that result from a farmer uh, by paying that farmer, encouraging that farmer to do conservation on their land so that the industry doesn't have to do a more expensive uh, operation on their own facility. Uh, we're seeing parts of this uh, in, in parts of the country already operating. Uh, Chesapeake Bay, some water uh, markets are being developed. Uh, Ohio's got water markets and so forth. So I think there's an exciting opportunity here uh, focusing on incentives as opposed to mandates. U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack speaking with us here. We've had several very good years in agriculture, uh, strong demand, new uses for some of our crops. What's your biggest fear about the farm economy in the next three to five years? The failure of Congress uh, to do its work this year in getting what I like to refer to as the Food, Farm, and Jobs Bill through the process and getting it done before September 30th. We have momentum. We are revitalizing, rebuilding this economy. We're seeing record incomes. We're seeing strong exports. We're seeing new uses, as you mentioned. We're seeing unemployment go down in rural areas at a fairly rapid rate. All of that momentum will continue if we have certainty with reference to the policies that will help continue. Uh, The Senate Agricultural Committee has gotten its work done. Uh, Pretty confident that that bill is going to get on the floor, and I hope it gets through the Senate. There will obviously be some adjustments and changes, but at the end of the day, there's a strong energy title, there's a strong trade title, there's a strong research title. Uh, There's still obviously some work to be done, but we need the bill to get through the process. The last thing we need is for there to be uncertainty, uh, which will create confusion and, and fear in the markets, and obviously that will impact and affect incomes. Are you referring to the north-south rift in that bill, meaning that cotton, peanuts, and rice are not as happy with it as corn and soybeans, and that could torpedo the bill? No, I, I just think, uh, actually I'm referring more, not so much to the, those differences, which every food, farm, and jobs bill has, uh, and they get worked through, and I'm sure these will get worked through. The biggest concern I have is the significant difference between the Senate's version and the House version in terms of the money. As you know, the Senate version would reduce uh, the overall commitment uh, to, by, by roughly 24 to $25 billion. The House proposal in the Ryan budget that has been passed uh, basically would call for $200 billion of reductions Uh, a substantial reduction in the commodity programs, a significant reduction in conservation, and a very, very large reduction in the nutrition assistance programs. That, I think, is where we're going to have the tension that might interfere with us getting uh, something done. Many farm organizations say that crop insurance being in there is the key for them. There's now some effort in the Senate to cap the uh, subsidies on the premiums at $40,000. Does the administration support that? Well, as you know, the administration has a slightly different take on the crop insurance. Uh, our, our view is 
the focus is not so much on the producer as it is on the insurance industry itself. Uh, and the reason for that is this, Ken. We've done an assessment and evaluation of the profit margins that are generated by crop insurance and how much is necessary to maintain the integrity of the program. What we have found is that roughly 12% return on investment is enough to basically have a strong, viable, uh, healthy crop insurance uh, market and program. Right now, uh, these companies are, even in a tough year like last year, they're generating profits somewhere between 14 and 15%, in some cases as high as 17%. And so our view is that perhaps some adjustments should be made in terms of that, that level of profit. Secondly, uh, there, there is also the question of, of the compensation for agents uh, who sell crop insurance. Uh, when this program was started 15 years ago, uh, agents obviously had a very difficult job. They had to convince somebody to embrace a new idea and a new program. Well, today, that job is a little bit different. They have a lot of servicing responsibilities, but selling somebody on the notion of having crop insurance is not as difficult as it once was. And we're also expanding the number of, of products. Uh, so maybe there's some adjustment made there. And then finally, there are a couple of commodities where the partnership between the federal government and the producers is, is not a 50-50 partnership. It's more like a 40-60 partnership, and we thought maybe some adjustments could be made there. Uh, so I think that's kind of where the administration is, uh, and, and that would generate a few more, uh, few more dollars of savings, which are going to be important because everybody understands we've got to get our fiscal house in order. Changing to another area, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange has extended their hours to 21, only being closed between 2 and 5 in the afternoon. USDA releases reports at 7.30 a.m., which is during the trading. Do you plan to move those to the non-trading hours in the afternoon? Well, first of all, was to wait and see what the CME ultimately decided uh, their extended hours would be and then take a look at how that relates to uh, their competitor. Uh, we now have actually two entities that are involved in this. And then from that to determine whether or not there is any unfair advantage in, in a selecting a, a, a one time over another in terms of disclosing information. The second issue is to make sure that as information is disclosed that no one has an unfair advantage of getting the information sooner, that everyone basically gets it uh, within seconds uh, of when it's available. Uh, we're taking a look at this. We're looking at it from all angles. Uh, what I would expect and anticipate is uh, that we will, whatever we do, we will probably ask for comment uh, from the industry, comment from producers, comment from those who are uh, dependent on this uh, information to make sure that we ultimately get to the right decision. Uh, we'll make a decision. It could be that we stay where we are. It could be that we adjust. But whatever we do, we'll probably ask for some input to make sure that whatever decision we make is the right decision. This is a little difficult uh, because there, there, there is 21 hours for the CME, but there's an overlap with, with the, the other reporting agency. And so, in essence, there's really no, no time, if you will, where, no one is, it, it, where nothing is happening. Um, and we obviously want to do this in a way that doesn't distort markets uh, and that doesn't provide any unfair advantage uh, to, to uh, a, a one entity or another. Secretary Vilsack, we thank you for speaking with us on AgriPulse Open Mic and also uh, here in our studios in Des Moines. And we uh, thank you very much for the work you do. You uh, study hard and you run hard, and we thank you for that. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This has been AgriPulse Open Mic recorded on Thursday, May 24, 2012. Brought to you by DuPont. I'm Ken Root.